Good morning, friends. It is good to be with you here today. Uh, if we have not yet met, my name is Laurie. I am training to be a vicar up the road at Ridley Hall. Uh, there's a few of us around, so if you've heard that story before, that's okay. Um, uh, this morning, we are going to dive back into Hebrews, uh, which we've been looking at for a few months. Um, it's a fascinating letter from an unknown author writing to a group of Jews who have chosen to follow Jesus probably about 50 years after his death and resurrection. The community has experienced quite severe persecution because of their faith in Christ, and it's caused them to question whether he is worth it, whether their faith is worth it. Uh, and a few people have already left the group and return to mainline Judaism because they've kind of found the persecution too much to handle. Uh, so this author is trying to teach the group why Jesus is worth the sacrifice that they are facing. He first began by comparing Jesus with angels, and then the law, and then Moses, and the promised land. And in the past two weeks, we've been unpacking how the author compares Jesus to Israel's priests. Uh, and I'm going to dive a little deeper into that, specifically looking at the comparison in chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, uh, of Christ to one particular priest, a guy called Melchizedek. Uh, so let's have a look. I'm going to start the reading um, just where Miriam left off last week at uh, Hebrews 6.19 to kind of give us a bit of context. Uh, let me find my Bible. <laughs> All right, 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the Lord requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And without the doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. All right, there's a lot in there. So let's begin by first working out who Melchizedek is. Uh, so the last two weeks, we've been looking at how the author of Hebrew, uh, Hebrews compares Jesus with the Israelite priests. By ancient Jewish law, only the male descendants of Aaron, uh, who you might remember as Moses' brother, 
uh, could be commissioned to serve as priests before God and Israel. Their role was to represent Israel before God and offer sacrifices which atoned or covered over the sins of the people. But the priests were themselves morally flawed, and so they also had to offer sacrifices on their own behalf. And something more is needed, and Jesus becomes that something more. But long before Aaron was even born, before the nation of Israel had even been established, we hear a brief reference to another priest, a mysterious man who meets Abraham, the father of Israel, in the book of Genesis. So we're going to read from Genesis 14 to kind of give us a bit of context. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. He blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. We don't actually find out much about Melchizedek from this story. Uh, We don't get anything about his death, his life, his journey. He simply arrives. He brings bread and wine. He blesses Abraham. And then he leaves with the same abruptness as he arrived. And the only other time we hear about Melchizedek in the Old Testament is Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is generally understood to be a prophetic word about the coming Messiah. It's full of images God gives King David about a supreme king who is to come, who will sit at the right hand of the Father in a place of honor, power, and intimacy with God, which no king, including David, could have experienced. This messianic figure is not only a king, he's a priest. Psalm 110 verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's this dual role of priest and king that distinguishes Melchizedek from all the other leaders. To a typical Israelite, the combined office of king and priest was inconceivable. God established that the kings came from the line of Judah and the priests came from the line of Levi. These are two different brothers, uh, sons of Abraham. Of course, Mil- oh, sorry, grandsons of Abraham. Uh, Melchizedek was a priest and a king centuries before Levi and Judah have even been born. While the two officers operated separately in ancient Israel to administer justice to the nation and to implement accountability between the two officers, they converge in this man. Of course, Melchizedek was only a priest as of being made a priest and a king only as of ascending the throne. What we see in Psalm 110 is the coming Messiah was a priest forever. Whilst every king and priest, including Melchizedek, did indeed die, Jesus Christ overcame death. He was a priest and king forever. So let's have a look at what it means for Christ to be both a priest and a king forever. If we look at the role of the priest in the Old Testament, we see it's primarily about being a mediator between God and humanity. The priest represents God to the community, offering blessings and accepting sacrifices on God's behalf. To God, the priest represents humanity, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people, interceding for the community. 
but no priest could fully represent God, for they themselves were only human. They could not offer sacrifices that truly paid the debt which was owed on behalf of the community, because no sacrifice would ever be great enough to fully reconcile God and humanity. When a priest died, he was succeeded by his son, generation after generation. So the only priest who could ever offer full reconciliation would be the only priest to overcome death, Jesus. He is able to do more than represent God to humanity because he is God. As fully human, he is able to represent humanity to God. Indeed, we read later in Hebrews chapter 7 that the Messiah is therefore able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. As entirely without sin, Jesus was uniquely able to sacrifice himself for the debt owed. One sacrifice for all time, for all people, the sacrifice of the king's life to save his people. One sacrifice for all time, for all people, the sacrifice of the king's life to save his people. Christ's kingdom is so strikingly different to the kingdoms of this world. Like Melchizedek, Christ is a king of peace and a king of righteousness. He does not pursue wealth or power. He is not forceful or proud. Rather, he humbled himself to be born in a barn, to work as a tradesman, to submit to the authority of the oppressive colonial power. He made himself a servant and a slave. He called others to follow in his way of giving everything he had to those in need. He does not force people to submit to his kingship. His kingdom is one of personal choice, to choose him as king or to turn away. And that's the question that is worth considering today. Do you honor Christ as your priest and your king? not merely as a role model or as a moral teacher, but as a righteous and holy leader, worthy of all honor and glory, who gives himself fully, who humbles himself to the point of death for you. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah uh, shares a vision of angels worshiping God. He says, they're calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. Woe is me, is the prophet's response to seeing God. He encounters the king and his own unworthiness does not drive him away from God. But instead, it produces this respect, this reverence. The fact that God meets us in tenderness, gentleness, and peace does not cancel out that he is also supreme king. Only in Christ can we find this mixture of things that seems so difficult for us to comprehend on earth. We have a hard time grasping that Jesus could be both of these tender and tough, king and sacrifice. But of course, he's always the perfect mixture of both. He's able to both kneel on the ground and play with children 
and also to command an army. He is able to pour out his love and be a righteous judge. And I believe that that seeming paradox makes God sweeter to us, more beautiful. What kind of king allows his people to call on him at any moment? What kind of king says, you will dine with me forever? What kind of king would come down and live the life of a slave and die for his people? Only Jesus. And shouldn't that produce in us a heart of obedience that loves him as he loves us?